Um, just want to bring a few, a few more thoughts that we, in, in sense, began with in the, in the morning. And we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exert it of his neighbor, who is his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. It shall be known as the year of the Lord's release. And seven things we said happened uh, during the time of release. We said this time of release, which was proclaimed uh, by the Lord, the Lord works in, in, in seasons of Sabbath. So every seven days was a Sabbath. Every seventh year was a Sabbath. And, uh, and, and um, every 50th year was a year of jubilee, uh, marking a Sabbath also. And so the Lord worked in, um, in, in sevens. And uh, in the seventh year, there was rest. So it represented rest. The Sabbath represents rest. Um, it also represented a time of a fresh start, a new beginning. Uh, after the seventh day, we begin a new week. Do you know that our week actually begins on Sunday? It's just that, you know, Sunday is kind of a holiday, but technically, the first day of the week is Sunday. Now, now we, mentally, we think of the first day of the week as Monday, but really, the first day of the week is Sunday. So, when we, so today is the end of this week that just passed. Tomorrow is the beginning of a new week. So, what do we do today? Today ushers us into a new beginning, into a fresh start. We start all over again. You start the whole process. It also represented freedom from indebted obligation. There was freedom. You, you no longer had to pay back the debt that you owed. Uh, it represented a year of mercy for the poor. So those who were poor, those who couldn't afford to pay back their debts, received mercy. There was a debt write-off, like, we're, like you know, we're trying to negotiate whether it's debt restructuring or maybe we should be talking about debt cancellation. Just cancel the debt altogether. Um, I wish we operated in, at the national level international level in uh, God's economy. You know, maybe Zambia could receive debt cancellation. Anyway, topic for another day. It also finds its higher counterpart in the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord, Luke 4 and verse number 19. Thank you so much. Um, in Luke 4, verse number 19, Jesus said, I proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, fulfilling that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And really, it represents the year of the Lord's release. Our debts have been written off. God gives us a fresh start. God is a God of a fresh start. God is a God of a new beginning. God is a God of a second chance. And then also, it represented the grace of God, which we find, in which we find freedom from the debt of sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Our sin had left us crimson stained, but he washed us whiter than snow. And then I said in the morning session, this period also represented a time of preparation. Uh, most of us, what we do growing up, I remember Saturday was the day that you would do your laundry. When I was young, and uh, um, I don't get to that much anymore, uh, I'm grateful. But when I was young, I, I was single, and I, 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 I lived with my grandmother in Kawata there. I, I spoke about Kawata earlier on. And on Saturdays, I would do my laundry. I would wash in the morning um, because we, we, if, if we didn't have a church program, sometimes we'd have church programs, so I would go to church, but sometimes we have free Saturdays. So what I would do on Saturday is I would wash my clothes in the morning, 
uh, we didn't have washing machines now, Peter, so we'd wash with our hands. Uh, so we wash, we, it's now that I've got a washing machine, but when I was younger, I used to wash with my hands. These hands know how to wash clothes, and I would just rub them in water there, and, and we would wash with our hands, and I would hang the clothes, and inside the afternoon, right about this time, all the way to 18, I would be ironing my clothes for the week beginning. And so that represents preparation. On the Sabbath, you don't only rest, but you can, in a sense, prepare yourself for what lies ahead. So as the new week begins, you step into the week prepared. I would uh, gather my thoughts and put my work together. Because Sunday is the day we go to church and we go to worship and we go to fellowship. There isn't much time for washing your clothes, ironing them, and getting your stuff ready for the new week. Because it's the beginning of the new week. So when you get to that place of release, you are being prepared for the new season of life. Now, um, I, I say that open church is entering into a new phase and a new season. And that, that's not coming from me, that's coming from the Lord. And as, you, as has been confirmed by all the speakers this morning, a new phase and a new season. But I believe that it's not just for open church alone, it's also for you as an individual. God is taking you to a new season. Now, um, in the morning, I was speaking uh, to the church. I was speaking also to you as an individual. But I want to focus more of this last talk today to speak to us collectively as a church. Now that we are aware and we appreciate the fact that God is calling us to a place of preparation, I want to talk about the mechanics of what this new season will look like. And would you please turn with me to Psalm 122. And I'm going to marry Psalm 122 to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42 to 47. So I'm going to read them back to back. So I'll begin with Psalm 122. I'll read the whole text and then I'm going to go to the New Testament and read the book of Acts. So let's begin in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Open courts, may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers, close quote. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will say, for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And that is Psalm 122, verse 1 to 9. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as many as had need, day by day, attending um, the temple, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. 
for the Lord was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God. May the Lord add blessing to the public reading of scripture. We used to say that when I was growing up, and I think it's very true. So, I want to talk to us this afternoon about the gathering of believers. The gathering of believers. As open church, as you get into this new season of uh, your ministry and this new season of the cycle of uh, the life of this church, and as you get into the new season of the cycle of your own individual lives, there are things that God wants us to appreciate. Psalm 122 is one of the Psalms of Ascent. It's a psalm that the Israelites would proclaim and read as they would go up to Jerusalem for the gathering of the covenant people at that time. It, uh, it was a declaration of rejoicing and gladness of coming into the presence of the Lord. Because back then the presence of the Lord was centered in Jerusalem. So you'd have to, you'd have to go to Jerusalem in a sense to encounter experience the presence of the Lord. And they would declare such gladness as they went up, as they ascended the hills to go to Jerusalem. As they came from the, from the lower parts, as they came from the valleys, as they came from the lower parts of Israel to come up to the mountain to Jerusalem to go and worship the Lord there, to come and give their annual sacrifice, to make their annual pilgrimage. And they would make this declaration, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There was rejoicing and there was gladness as they were coming to this place where they would come to offer their sacrifices, they would come to give their praises, they would come to receive atonement for their sins, they would come to be able to receive restitution, but they were also coming for fellowship. It was an individual journey, but when they got to Jerusalem, it, it ceased being an individual enterprise. It became a collective enterprise. We all came here separately. We came one by one. We, perhaps maybe you came in one car like I came in. I came with Joshua. We came in the same car. But truly, we came individually. Joshua is himself. I'm myself. But when we gather together, it ceases to become an individual enterprise. It becomes a collective enterprise. And we see the reality of this in the New Testament as we come to Acts chapter number 2. This is after Jesus ascended and he goes to heaven and he sends down the Holy Spirit and in a sense the church is born. It's actually in Acts chapter number 2 that the New Testament church is born. And what we begin to see from verse number 40 all the way to the last verse of this text are the characteristics of this New Testament church. What does the New Testament church look like? What does the New Testament church look like? How can we tell what is a New Testament church and what is not a New Testament church? And so Acts gives us a picture of what the church looks like. Now Acts is not necessarily a, a blueprint of what every church is supposed to look like. In a sense, this is, what, this is what's supposed to be. It gives us a picture. This is what the church looked like. Look like. This is what the church is supposed to to look like. Now, it doesn't mean, we, mean we're to do everything the same way that they did it in Acts, but it gives us a blueprint, a term of reference, a point we are to look at. And so, in this year of release, a new season has been ushered. Every new season, you see, brings with it new responsibilities. We're talking about a, a year of release. I want to tell you, every new season brings with it new responsibility. 
Now that when the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, a new responsibility fell upon the shoulders of the apostles. There was the way they were doing things when Jesus was around. After Acts chapter 2 verse 1, things had to change. And you will see as you continue to read through the book of Acts that things continued to change. They couldn't remain the same. In fact, the movement that Jesus established and started took a whole different trajectory after Acts chapter number 2. So with every new season comes new responsibility. With every new season comes a new mandate. The purpose and the mission remains the same, but the mandate of fulfilling that purpose changes. You see, as a ministry, as a church, as people, you have to accept the fact that you can't keep on doing things the same way that you did them. Some things will have to change. It means that at some point, you can't keep on doing the same thing that you were doing. You know, sometimes in the life cycle of a church, the pastor does everything. He, I, he, he just he, he sweeps the floor, he picks up the chairs, he wraps the, 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 the curtains, he puts the equipment together. But at some point, you have to stop doing that and give way to other people to do those things so that you can focus your attention on other things. In the Gospels, it was the apostles who were serving the bread. Remember, Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread, and then he, get, he told them, distribute to the people. When you get into Acts chapter number 5 and 6, you realize that they had to find seven other people, others to begin to, so they could focus on other things. So you have to be willing to let go. You can't hold on to the things that you are used to doing. For, because for as long as you are holding on the things that you are used to doing, you will not be able to receive the new things that God wants you to do. And the reason why we don't receive the new thing is because we are holding on to the old thing. So as you step into your new season, you have to be prepared to let go. What are some things that God is calling you to let go of so that he can give you new things? It's not... The problem is not that God is not giving you a new thing. The problem is that you're holding on, you are holding on rather to the old thing. You're holding on. You got to let go. As you step into a new season, you also have to realize that the new season brings with it new challenges. There are new challenges that come with every new season. So as you are stepping into a season of release, be prepared for new challenges, unique challenges. Things that you never thought possible, things that you never imagined, you have to be prepared for those things as well. You also have to be prepared as you step into the new season to change the way of doing things. And sometimes you might receive an instruction. I want to speak to those. You might receive an instruction from your leaders moving you from one point to another. And you can, and, and the thing is that we get so emotionally vested in certain things when we are asked to move we get upset because we are used to being in that place. But sometimes our place of growth, our place of growth, the place where we grow is in the place of discomfort. It's only when we are moved from our place of comfort that we can actually grow. Stretching is uncomfortable, but stretching is necessary. You got to realize that for every child that learns to crawl and then learns to walk, it's a stretching opportunity. Standing and walking is defying the old, you know, the laws of gravity. And you, you constantly have to be defying the laws of gravity to stand and to walk. But if you want to, re if you want to remain crawling, 
Because growing is comfortable and it's safe. You can choose to do so, but you will never be able to stand and to walk. You have, and sometimes you will fall, but you get up again. You fall, but you get up again. You know, children, we can learn a lot from children. We can, we can learn a lot from babies. God wants you to grasp the height of the plans that he has for you. The two texts that we, we just looked at speak about the power and the reality of our gathering. The work that God seeks to do on the earth is not a one-man work. It is a work of community. Have you ever wondered that when Jesus left, he didn't leave his church to one man? Now, I know some theological schools of thought will have you believe that, but we didn't come to discuss theological schools of thought here. But I'll tell you, he did not leave the mandate of his church to one man. He left it to his apostles. He left it to a community of believers. I was doing some research on the book of Acts, and, I, and in, in, in Hebrew culture and custom, the reason why in Acts it says 120, that was the smallest basic unit of a community. Where there's 120, a council could be formed. Where there was 120, a community was formed that had leaders and was a recognized society. So when the Bible says in Acts, 120 of them had gathered, it's, speaking, it's telling us that that was a community with whom they, over whom there could be leaders. It was a community that had judicial jurisdiction and authority. It was a community which, which had the legal right to be, to be recognized by the rest of the society. So when Jesus left, he left a community. He didn't leave his work to one man. It is in community that transformation happens. It is in community that we are empowered. It is in community that our lives are impacted. Now, although these verses are somewhat separated by 1,500 years of history. Their principles are true and are applicable today. So, seven marks of the gathering of believers. Because God has called us and God wants to do this work in community. The work that we are, you are being called to prepare for. We spoke very earnestly and very passionately in the morning about preparation. So the work that God is calling you to do is not a one-man work. It's a work of community. So what does this community look like? Let's go through seven things. First and foremost, this community is marked, or the, the gathering of this community is marked with joy and gladness. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This community is marked with joy and gladness. If you, if you notice both texts, speak about the fact that there was gladness and there was joy. Wherever there is praising of God, there is gladness. Wherever there is the favor of God, there is gladness. Whenever God is adding the number of believers, there is gladness. Our community, our gatherings must be marked by joy and gladness. I'm happy that you sing happy songs. I'm happy that you clap your hands because wherever the spirit of the Lord is there, there is liberty and there is gladness. We are not called to be sad. We're not called to be miserable. We're not called to be downcast. We are called to be glad and to rejoice. Paul put it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We are a rejoicing people. 
Yes, we rejoice in spite of our circumstances. We rejoice in spite of the situations we might be going through. We rejoice because Christ has won the victory. We don't rejoice because we are perfect. We don't rejoice because we've made it. But Paul put it this way. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, I press on to the higher calling of God. I apprehend for that which I was apprehended for in the very beginning. That is reason enough to be glad. That is reason enough to be glad. So our singing must be full of gladness and joy. Our gatherings must be marked by gladness and joy. When we meet in the cafe area, there must be gladness and joy. When we meet in our cell groups, our, 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 you call them cell groups, you call them life groups, you call them, what do you call them, connect groups, we call them connection groups, they must be filled with joy and gladness. There must be something within you that leaps with joy. They must be filled with gladness. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now we know from the New Testament that the house of the Lord is not a physical place because there is no physical place that we call the house of the Lord. We have now become the temple of the Lord. So when we gather together, there the Lord is there. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them in their midst. So the Lord is there. We have reason to be glad. You can be in a a tower, the Lord is there. You can be in Northrise, the Lord is there. You can be in Kansenshi, the Lord is there. You can be in, is it Itempi? Ndeke, the Lord is there. Is there Nkwazi here? No? Oh, there is Nkwazi here. You can be in Nkwazi, the Lord is there. As long as you are gathered, and there you must be with gladness. Secondly, our gatherings must be marked by unity. Our gatherings must be marked by unity. The greatest sign of the the, the greatest sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues. I'm a, I'm a large proponent of speaking tongues. I speak in tongues. And I believe all believers should speak in tongues. The greatest mark of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not miracle signs and wonders. I believe in miracle signs and wonders. And I believe they should be done amongst us. The greatest sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is unity. When the war of division has been torn down, where Jews and Gentiles can dwell together in unity. Behold how blessed it is when brethren dwell together in unity. There the Lord commands a blessing. That is the greatest sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Every war of division is torn down. There's no longer white man or black man. There's no longer Indian man or colored man. We are all one man in Christ. There's no longer Jewish man or Gentile man. We are all one man in Christ. I don't believe in such a thing as a black church or a white church, a Bemba church or a Tonga church, a Lozi church or a Ngoni church. No, there is only one church and that is the church of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit ushers us into that church. There's no such a thing as a Danish church or an American church or an English church or an Australian church or a Zambian church. There is only one church of Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you belong to that church. Whether you are in Dola, in Osaka, in Ottawa, in Ontario or in Melbourne. It doesn't matter. If you belong to the church of Jesus Christ, you can be in Helsinki and still be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. Unity. Thirdly, our gatherings must invoke in us a sense of remembrance or testimony. When we gather together, we must remember what the Lord has done. Our songs must 
cause us to remember what the Lord has done. We remember. It's no wonder God told the Israelites that whenever it is that you go, you must set up an, an altar. You know, the altars that they would set up were not necessarily set up for, the, for, for, for sacrifices. You know, the, the, the putting of stones together, they weren't even necessarily set up as places of prayer. They weren't even set up as, you know, we, 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 we kind of twist these things now. You know, you must set up a, an altar of prayer. Well, you know, I don't want to get into that, but I just want to tell you, the altars that were being set up, when stones were being heaped together, God would tell them that use this as a signpost to remind you. Because the human mind has a tendency to forget. And so you need things that remind you. 20 years ago, this is what the Lord did. Five years ago, this is what the Lord did. Five days ago, this is what the Lord did. So when we gather together, we must have in, in us a sense of remembrance. This is why when we come to the table of communion, one of the things that we do when we come to the table of communion, as we receive that cup and eat that bread, is to remember. Remember that we were once lost in sin, but Jesus died for us. While we were still sinners, he paid the price. We remember that it's not because of our own righteousness or because of our own goodness that we have been saved, but it's because of his righteousness. It's because of his goodness that we've been raised from the miry clay of sin. We remember we didn't save ourselves. We don't have what it takes to save ourselves. He saved us. He loved us. He set us free. We remember. We need something to remind us. Remember. When we gather together, remind yourself. Remember, remind each other. And then our, we must also have a sense of testimony. When we gather together, we must remember what the Lord has said to us through his words. This is why we open the bread of his word. We open his word. We gather together to center around his words. We don't remember the stories of this man and that man. Thank God for the stories of this man and that man. We don't gather together to remember, you know, what this person went through and what that person went through. And we thank God for what this person went through and what that person went through. But we gather together to center our focus around the word of God. What does the word of God say? The word of God is the final authority. The word of God is the standard. If God said it, we believe it. If it's not in the word of God, then we've got no business talking about it or discussing it. Number four, our gathering must be marked by a sense of gratitude. Our gathering must be marked by a sense of gratitude. When we gather together, there must be a great sense of gratitude. We should be thankful. We must be thankful. Thankful for all that the Lord has done. Gratitude is a sign of God's work amongst us. Number five, our gatherings must invoke in us a sense of justice. We see in both the texts, justice, notice in Acts, how that they were doing good, selling their possessions and distributing to those who were in need. Notice if you go back to, uh, to um, Psalm 22, there the thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Justice to do what is right. Our gathering must invoke in us a sense of justice. We cannot turn a blind eye to the needs of those who are around us. James said, if someone comes amongst you and is naked and is hungry, don't tell them, go in peace. Oh, the, go in peace, go and find warmth and go and find food. If you have food, give them. If you have a coat, give them. 
That is what justice calls for. We do what is right. When we gather together, our gathering must invoke in us a sense of justice. Number six, our gatherings must cause us to submit to God's authority. When we gather, we submit to God's authority. My agenda dies. Your agenda dies. But God's agenda is what stands. We recognize that God is the final authority. Therefore, it means that if there's anything that is oppressing you, anything that is ruling illegitimately in your life, it must die. If lust wants to take the day, lust must die. If fear wants to take the day, fear must die. If anxiety wants to take the day, anxiety must die. Everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, must submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because when we gather together, he is in authority. We lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. We speak words of encouragement to those who are discouraged. We recognize that Jesus sits on the throne forever and only he and he alone must be praised. Number seven, our gatherings must invoke in us a desire to pray. They must invoke in us a desire to pray. And here I use prayer in the general sense. Prayer involves or prayer includes worship. It includes surrender. It includes holy reverence. It includes holy awe. Our gatherings together must invoke in us a desire to pray, to recognize that prayer changes everything. To recognize that when we submit our will to his will, our natural environment changes. To recognize that we, we can boldly say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done in my life. So how do we respond to this? As I come to the close, how do we respond to this? When we gather together, how do we respond to this new season of open church? Especially, I want to speak to those of you who, are, who support and the members of the church. First of all, come open and ready. Every time that you come to church, every time that you go to a connect group, come open and ready. You know, the, 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 the best book that God can use is an open book. The best book that God can use is an open book. Psalm 18, read from the Message Bible, it says that God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart before him. Come open and ready. Don't come with a pre-written text. Don't come with a pre-written script trying to tell God what God should do and should not do. Just come open and ready. Secondly, come just as you are. Don't try to fix yourself. Let Jesus do the fixing. So just come as you are. Oh, you might have had a bad week. Come. Things didn't go the way you expect them to go. Come. They laughed at you at school. Come. They lied on you. Come. They are working against you. Come. You feel heavy in your heart. Come. Your girlfriend broke up with you. Come. Your girlfriend walked out on you. Come. The marriage seemed like it's breaking down. Come. The cat died. The TV switched off. Come. Zesco cut your power. Come. Just come. They fired you. Come. They want to fire you. Come. Just come as you are. You are, you are the crazy hair. The other day, oh, my hair is crazy. Just come with your crazy hair. Just bring it. Just come. I haven't taken a shower in five days. Come. We don't mind. You know, we might even just give you a shower to use. But come. Thirdly, Serve. Come ready to serve. 
wherever you are served, there is something that you can do. Even if it's just moving a box from one point to another point, come ready to serve. Look for serving opportunities. Don't just come and go. Ask, where can I help? What can I do? Can I uplift that, can I lift, can I uplift that box? Is it, look, what's the, worst, what's the worst that you can get? No. Oh, thank you very much. I offered. They said, no, it's okay. But just come ready to serve. And don't wait for them to call you to say, you be the one that makes yourself available. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can help with? Would you like me to, would you like me to move the boxes? Would you like me to sweep the floor? Would you like, oh, you know, you know, can I pick up the bottles? Just do something. Come ready to serve. The place to elevation in the kingdom of God is the place of service. If you seek to be elevated in the kingdom, bring yourself down. Those who humble themselves will be lifted. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom are the servants of all. He demonstrated this by washing the feet of his disciples. Come ready to serve. There is no task too big, no task too small that you cannot put your hands to. No. If it, if it, if it, if it, Sorry, I'm speaking, what that means is, you know, I'm just in the choir. So I, I can't do anything else. Just come ready to serve. Number four, come ready to give. Come ready to give. You know, don't just be a taker. In this new season of Open Church, I call upon each and every one of you to be givers. And stop thinking of yourself, no, I'm just a school child. I'm just in grade 12. I'm just in grade 11. I'm just at college. I just finished school. I'm in my gap year. There is something that you can give. There is something that you can give. When I was in college, when I was uh, um, uh, in my early days at Miracle Life Family Church, I, uh, you know, what I earn today is not even half. It's an, an iota of what I was earning 15 years ago. If I have, if, if those days, if I, if I have a hundred kwacha, I had a lot of money. If someone gives me a ten kwacha, they've given me a lot of money. But you know what we'll do? If we get a ten kwacha, which was 10,000 those days before it was rebased, we would take a thousand kwacha. And put, I would take it, I'll literally take it, I'll break it down into, into, into 10, 1,000 quarters, which is now, what we, what, that would be like 10, one quarters now, it's coins now. And I would put under my bed 1,000 to take to church as tithe. Every week, whoever gave me money, whether it was my aunt who gave me money, it was my uncle who gave me money, or it was just the church people who gave me money, I would put aside something. Come ready to give. Your gift is never too small. You can give something. Determined to give something. Don't just be a taker. Be a giver. It is, Jesus said in a revelation that he gave to Paul, Acts chapter 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it doesn't matter the amount of your gift. Come ready to give. And, I'm, and you know, you might just be thinking Pastor Pinyam is talking about giving financially. No, no, no. You know what? You can even give of your talent. So there are three things we can give. We can give our treasure, we can give our time, and we can give our talent. Give your talent. Give your treasure and give your time. Number five, which is kind of the sister to come ready to give, come ready to receive. So as you give, you must also be willing to receive. 
Come ready to receive. To receive from the message. To receive from the word of God. To receive from others. Receive a smile. Receive a hug. Receive an embrace. Receive acceptance. Receive love. The problem is that most of us are too closed. We come closed. We come to church, but we are closed. Just closed. Don't, don't come too close. And then come to be equipped to do greater works here and beyond. Come to be equipped to do greater works. There is, this is your place of equipping. And as God equips you, he will un, unleash you to do greater things. Number seven, come with your praise. Bring your praise with you when you come to church. Don't expect to find praise here. Bring it with you from home. Bring it with you from home. And as I conclude, and I cross the place of prayer and reflection, this is an action plan I'd like to give you. This is an action plan that will help you to do these things. First, deny yourself. You can't be selfish and expect to be great in the kingdom of God. Secondly, take up your cross. Each of us must bear our own cross. Thirdly, diligently follow. If you're not a good follower, you'll never be a good leader. Stop jostling for positions and for titles. Just follow. Number four, let conviction override convenience. Com your conviction must be greater than your convenience. It means that your conviction of what God is doing here is greater than what is, what is convenient. It can be raining out there. Let it rain. I'm still going to church. You heard Pastor Neil Peter said he flew over so many rains to come here. One rain, one, one, one 30 minutes rain rains and you say, ah, I'm not going to church. No, 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 no. You, sh you should never let convenience overcome your conviction. Rather, let your conviction override your convenience. Serving God sometimes will take you to inconvenient places. But let conviction take the best. Number five, let character be bigger than comfort. Let character be bigger than comfort. Number six, let commitment go beyond circumstance. Your commitment must not be determined by your circumstances. It's a commitment you made it. Stick to it. Jesus put it this way, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you said you are coming, come. And then lastly, think beyond the here and the now. Think beyond the here and the now. There's greater things that God is doing. When we started out, Joshua and myself and those, those of us who know us, we, we, we knew that there was a great future for miracle life. We really didn't know what it was, but we just said, you know what, there is something great that God is doing here. We don't know what it is, but we believe in it. That is what made us walk 15 kilometers, 30 kilometers. That is what made us leave our comfort zones. That is what made us leave our place 
of convenience. Because we believe that there's something great. There's something great that God is doing here. So stop thinking about the here and the now. You might not see entirely into the future, but just know that there's great things that God is going to do. This is about the gathering of believers. Let's gather together and invite God to do great and amazing things amongst us.